Welcome to Shouts of Grace with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, Steve welcomes guest pastor Robert Marshall to share with us a study into Mark chapter 4, verse 38 in a message titled, Don't You Care? Please grab your Bible, friend, and let's get started. We're going, to be, um, we're going to talk this morning about two questions and a statement. The first scenario is going to be in Mark chapter 4. When Jesus has been teaching over on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, he's done, he's tired, he's ready to go get some rest. And so he puts his disciples in the boat and it says in 435, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. If Jesus said, let us go across to the other side... Where are they going? How do you know? (laughs) How certain are you of that? You know, I'm setting you up. You know that, right? Because we've all done the exact same thing. We get halfway across. Oh, man, what's going on? If Jesus said it, is it going to happen? So halfway across this powerful storm, the Sea of Galilee sits in a valley that runs north and south. And up on the northwest side of that, there's a break in the mountains over there. And and when convection's just right, there's a wind that comes out of that northwest corner and comes flying south across the Sea of Galilee and just turns it into a, man, it's just a terrible, terrible thing. Boiling cauldron. And you have people in this boat who are raised on, near, work that, that sea regularly. They're sea, these are tough men. They're seafaring men. And they knew what storms were like there. No doubt they had been out there at night. Most of these storms occur at night because of the convection that takes place, temperature shift. And we know they fished all night. At one time, Luke 5, 5, we fished all night and caught no fishes. So we know they've been out there. We know they've experienced it. But Jesus said, what are we going to do? We're going to go to the other side. Verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the winds were bra- the waves were breaking over into the boat, so that the boat was already being already filling. This storm is bad, which brings us to our first question in verse thirty-eight, Mark four thirty-eight. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, "Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?" How many people had Jesus ministered to just a few hours before over there? On the west side. How, how many people had he fed? How many people had he blessed? How many, how many demoniacs had been delivered? How many, and now we're out here in the middle of the sea with you. You're the one who had this bright idea. And now we're going down and you're asleep. Do you not care? Have you ever, have you ever felt like other people get more blessings than you? Have you ever people, felt like people get more prayers answered than you? Have you ever felt like new believers love Jesus and experience more of Jesus than you do? And you've been serving him for all these years, decades? Have you ever thought, I I serve God as much as I do, but they have a better marriage than I do. Their kids are better than mine. Have you ever wondered that? Anybody, anybody, there's somebody. Have you ever been frustrated that the job promotion that you deserved and you have been praying for went to the Nimrod who's been sucking up to the boss? They didn't deserve it, but it went to them. You've been, you prayed for it, but no. Have you ever felt like after all the things I've done for you, I should get more blessings than I do? Now, how do you think the disciples felt? Listen, they've walked with Jesus for over a year. They've been with him when the water was turned to wine. They've been with him when the demoniacs were healed, when the sick were healed, the dead were raised, the blind were seeing. They've seen all of those things. They've seen every one of them. And after all the time they've been with Jesus, they have seen him be extremely generous, extremely generous, extremely giving with 
complete and total strangers. How many miracles, how many miracles can you come up with that Jesus performed solely for the benefit of the disciples? That got quiet because it's hard to come up with any, isn't it? Okay, now you got Peter's mother-in-law. She's sick. Jesus walks in, raises her up, and it could be argued that that might not necessarily be the miracle Peter was looking for. (laughs) Just saying. But there's one, arguably, for a disciple. And then they had sardines and saltines, just like everybody else at the five and 4,000 feeding, right? But they're just ancillary. They're just, they're just the 12. We got 5,000 out here. He didn't do it for the 12. He did it for them. How many miracles, how many, how frustrated might they have been at everything Jesus did for everybody else, and I am left sitting here in my want, my need, my lack, my frustration, my difficulty, my boat that's going down. And they look at him and say, do you not care? How can you sleep through this? Why does he seem to be ignoring us? He is asleep in the bottom of a boat. He's down in the rocky part of the boat down there. Rocky back and forth. I don't mean R-O-C-K-Y. I mean, rock-a-bye Jesus in the boat bottom. He's down there in the bottom where that thing pivots. They're up on top. Holy moly, this is not fun. He's down there in the bottom. And the same waves that are rocking him to sleep are making them scared to death that they are about to die. The very same thing that makes us think we're going to die is what Jesus looks at and goes, no problem. And we look at him just like they look at him and say, don't you care? Why was Jesus asleep? Why was he not afraid the boat's going down? Who who was in that boat that he knew didn't need to worry about it? Jesus. Is Jesus in your boat? Then for you to go down would require him to go down. And 2 Timothy says he cannot deny himself. Friends, he's not going down. For you to go down would require that he go down with you, and he's not going down. Next verse. They come to him, they wake him up. Don't you care that we perish? In verse 39, he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Well, a couple of things. This is where my mind goes. What about those other people back in Mark 4:36? Did you notice them? Do you remember them? And other boats were with him. I think that's fascinating. I think that's fascinating. There were other boats with them that had absolutely no clue of what was going on. They did not hear anything that Jesus had to say. They were in the same storm, wondering if they're going to die also. And then the storm goes completely quiet. And I wonder if if they looked at each other and said, how many times have you been blessed because of God doing something in someone else's life? And how many times have other people been blessed because of what he's doing in your life? If you work for an organization that's privately owned, look, you are blessed because of the blessing in somebody else's life. God gave them the ability to establish a business, to start a business. He blessed them with the capital and everything. And you are blessed because of his blessing to them. Wow, that's amazing. And I just wonder about those people looking at that going, huh? And then the second thing, verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Well, I can give you a hint on why I'm afraid, because I thought I was going to die. That, that's a good reason. We're dying here. Are you not aware of that? No, you're rock by Jesus. He's still sleeping. We're, we're scared because we thought we were going to die. And then he said, do you still have no faith? Faith in what? Faith in what? Where does faith come from? 
Where does faith come from? It tells us. Where does, how do we get more faith? Romans 10, 19 says, faith cometh. Now that means it's over there. It's outside myself and has the opportunity to come and make, be resonant inside me. Faith cometh. How? By hearing the word. By hearing. Faith cometh by hearing. Okay, so now I have to be actively engaged in listening. And then it says, by hearing what? The word of God. Now, has the word of God already spoken in this situation? What did the word of God say in this situation? We're going to the other side. And halfway across, just like every one of you and me, they start going, well, maybe Jesus forgot. Maybe Jesus isn't paying attention to the current situation. Friends, before any of us got into it, Jesus said, we are going to the other side. What is the word that you hold anchor to? We had one of our kids 100 years ago, 1,000 miles away, had some difficulty and getting into some bad things. And you know what? My wife said, God, we've got to have a word, man. She went to the word, not Psalm 91. Psalm 91, I'll, I'll take care of him. He won't, he won't go down, I will take care of him. And all through the next five years, when every time I would go, it's not going good, what did my wife say? Why do you have so little faith? <laughs> no. That's why she's so short. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Psalm 91, Psalm 91, Psalm 91, Psalm 91. God gave us a word. God gave us a word. God gave us, and you know what God did? Took five years, but you know what God did? He got us all to the other side, just like he has you time and time and time again. But now this is this storm. This is today. This is this situation. Is he able to get me across this time? What did he say before you got in the boat? We're going to the other side. And that's the reason he chastised them for their lack of faith. And friends, when Jesus said in Proverbs eleven twenty three, the desire of the righteous ends only in good. If your righteous desire has not ended up good yet, then it's not the end. Because the desire of the righteous ends only in good. If your situation is not good yet, it's not the end. So we keep going. To forsake you would require forsaking himself in 2 Timothy 2. He cannot, he cannot deny himself. There's a song that says, if Jesus rides in my vessel, I need fear, no alarm. He brings peace in the midst of the storm. And we look at and say, well, it's easy for that guy to say that. He didn't know what I'm going through. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. And you don't know what the people sitting next to you are going through. We're all going through something. Amen? We're all going through something. And Jesus is the one who is in our boat. You don't know the difficulties, heartaches, heartbreaks, near-death experiences of those right around us. But we all do know Jesus. Have the opportunity. And every one of us has said, don't you care that I'm dying here? Let's look at a second situation. In um, Luke chapter 10, Jesus has come to dinner. He's gone out to Bethany. It's out east of Jerusalem. He's gone there several times. He will go there several times more before the crucifixion. In fact, he's out there the uh, week before the crucifixion because he can go to their house and just rest. Have you ever had somebody you can just go to their house and it's just calm there? Don't you like going to that house? Don't you like being that house? Don't you want to be that house? Well, that's what the house in Bethany is and it belongs to Mary, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus is the same guy who in John chapter 11 died. Jesus rose him from, raised him from the dead. And um, uh, when, they, when they tell Jesus that Lazarus is sick, the way they say it is the one you love. Jesus loves these people. He can go out there and rest. They don't have cell coverage out there, so his phone's not blowing up. It's just calm. He goes out there to get some rest, and it says in Luke 10:38, and a woman named Martha 
welcomed him into her house. This was her house. This is unusual in that day that this woman owned this house. The name Martha means mistress, not the bad kind, but the kind as one in charge. I have a sister named Martha, and yes, she is one in charge. That's cool. Be in charge. Be in charge for the glory of Jesus. So Martha owns this home. She invites him in. Mary, it says in the next verse, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Cool. She's worshiping. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Martha was distracted with much serving. Have you ever known someone who was serving and was not blessed by it? Have you ever been to a restaurant and the waitress or waiter came and brought you your food and you just kind of go, you're not serving in your highest calling right there. I can, you, this, this is not where you will be 50 years from now, we hope, you know. You ever, had, you ever had somebody who's making sure that everybody's pulling their weight, doing their job? You know, it's kind of like the overbearing sister at the family reunion or the crazy aunt at Thanksgiving, right? None of us are in here doing that, but you know somebody, you've heard about it, you read about it in National Enquirer. We wouldn't do that. Somebody has. And so we come to the next question, Luke 10, verse 40. She went up to him, Martha went up to Jesus and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to come help me. Okay, two things. First off, verse, verse 40. She went up to him. She was coming into him. Another place that that same word is used is in Acts 17 when it says some wicked men formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. Now, to be fair, that word also means they came in nicely, they came in politely, but it can mean they came bearing down on them. They intruded abruptly. Now, Martha might have come in there and said, hey, I know you guys, look, I know you're having a devotion. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, I love that devotion book. That's a great, oh, you're on that. That's a great one. That's a great one. You're gonna be so blessed. What version are you guys reading? Okay, good, good, good. Appreciate that. Listen, Jesus. I got some deviled ham back here. It's not done yet. See, I think that's hysterical because Jews don't eat ham. But anyway, <laughs> deviled ham, deviled eggs. I just think it's funny. That come, that being in the Bible, it could have been, it could happen. Jesus, I need to borrow Mary for just a second. I got a Scotia work I have left. Can I borrow Mary? She could have done that or just saying, she could have come in there like a crazy woman, completely freaked out of her mind, right? The word is translated elsewhere as burst in upon them. She comes running in there screaming like a mad woman. Do you not care that my sister has left me alone? Tell her to help me. Have you ever felt like you were the only one getting the job done? Nobody else picks up the paper. Nobody else cleans up the trash. I had somebody tell me yesterday, that daughter of mine is the filthiest child. There will be three socks left lying around the house on different floors, and they're all hers. And I'm going, that's amazing. She has two legs and three socks left all over. The that's wow. That's cool. You ever feel like you're the only one teaching Sunday school? Everybody else bails, but I'll show up. Nobody else serves Jesus quite as much as I do. Have you ever felt that way? It's okay. It's okay. Just nod your head inside, inside, you know? <laughs> You can roll your eyes, maybe. Have you ever wished that Jesus would tell somebody to just get off their fat and lazy and help with something? Elijah whined. Elijah whined. He said, I'm the only one that's left. God came to him. Jesus came to him down there on the mountain and said, Elijah, what are you doing here? And it could be kind of like, what are you doing here? Are you seeking retreat? It could also be like, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be there. What are you doing here? 
And so he answers and says, well, I'm the only one that's left. Everybody else has forsaken you, and I'm the only one that's cared about your, your commands, your altar, your prophecies, and I'm just the only one. And Jesus sends the fire and the earthquake and the wind and the still small voice. And he says, Elijah, exact same question. What are you doing here? And you know what, you know what Elijah answers him that second time? <laughs> Word perfect, the exact same thing. I'm the only one who's left and everybody else is abandoning you. And I'm the only one who cares about you. If Jesus asks you something two times, you probably got it wrong the first time, okay? <laughs> Just FYI. Be, be, put that one in your back pocket. And then Jesus looks at him and says, you know what, okay, go home. I don't want so-and-so to, to replace you, so-and-so to be king. And by the way, I've reserved thousands who have not bowed their knees to Baal. I have thousands who are still faithful to me. And then I forgot to share that with you on our shared Google calendar. You know, bad on me or not. You can just trust me. And Elijah retired. He was out. And the disciples saw folks casting out demons. They said, oh, we told them to stop. They were doing it in your name. We told them to stop. We're the only ones. No, they're not against me. They're for me. And Martha, just like us at times, she is the only one serving rightly. She's the only one serving adequately. She's the only one picking up the trash. She's the only one teaching Sunday school. She's the only one teaching the right doctrine. And boy, that's a big one now. And Jesus said, verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. When he calls her name twice, this is usually not a good sign. And I wonder if this is Jesus' way of looking at her and saying, relax, take a gummy. Man, <laughs> killing me. And Jesus said to her, look, you are anxious and troubled. Look, neither of those are good. Neither of those are good. Anxious and troubled, neither of those are good. She's got both of them, okay? You have cancer and, you know, whatever. You don't want either of them. She's got both of them. The second thing I want to point out is in verse 42. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And there's some things that are going to say, well, it's talking about worship. And that that's the only good thing. Well, worship's a good thing. But friends, somebody's got to turn the lights on. Amen? I'm so thankful in first service, Steve knew where the thermostat was and cooled this place off. Because I was sweating up here like a stinking horse. Smell like a pig, sweat like a horse. Okay? can't sweat like a pig. Pigs don't sweat. But I'm glad somebody knew how to do that. It's great to be the worship leader, which they're unbelievable. I'm so thankful for them. But Crimenes, is Jesus saying that's the only thing that's necessary? No. What most are going to say is that what he's saying is, you got too much food going on here. Lighten up, man. What are you trying to do? See, they had to teach me in the first service, it's culinary, not quasinary. Culinary. If you're trying to show off your culinary arts, go work at Lakai. Right? Go work at Goodwood. But if you're wanting to have fellowship, we can have fellowships around Vienna sausages and saltines. Amen? Now, some of you are going to be grossed out just saying, that's good eating. <laughs> I was preaching something like this years ago in the South. And, you know, in the South, you have people who can't have print on the table. That means if you're going to have ketchup, you cannot have it in the, the, the ketchup bottle that says ketchup. You have to put it in a bowl and you have to put a spoon in it. So, you know, that's a, that's a real thing. Okay. So I'm preaching this in the South years ago. I said, just get with people, man, community, fellowship. We just got to get with people. What we get with them around is not the issue that we get with them is the issue. So we invited these people over and um, they said, what can we bring? Bring potato chips. We'll live dangerously, bring potato chips. And when they get there, we had a loaf of bread, a jar of jelly, a jar of peanut butter, and two knives on the table. We were broke. We were broke. What, what do you want for nothing? We're going to have peanut butter and jelly. Put your potato chips in the sandwich. You know, in your heart, you know he's right. 
and have a good time. Well, the lady told me a little while later, you know, I was really offended by that until I realized that you were trying to have fellowship with us more than impress us, and that changed my life. Wow. That was 30-something years ago, and she still remembers that. She still references that. And I had another guy come up to me after I preached that sermon. He said, you're killing me with this. You're killing me. I said, what? What are you? He said, my wife, we're inviting people over, and she's going out and getting shrimp and steak and making shish kebabs. Not my fault. You got a mouth, tell her to stop. Friends, what is the purpose of getting together? If the purpose of getting together is to gorge you with all of this great culinary cuisine, go somewhere else. But if you want to have fellowship, what do we have in the closet? Bean with bacon soup. Look good to you? Good, let's go. Because fellowship is what Jesus has called us to. Amen? Martha, I'm sure, was sitting there going, you know, I'm going to back off. She would have been tempted to. What would you, have you ever been corrected in front of your siblings? How did you take that? I will show them a thing or two. You don't call me down in front of those people. I know them. What what Martha did? I'm just going to sit back here and somebody's going to put the fork on the wrong side of the plate and it is all going to go to Gehenna. And I'm not going to do anything. I can, I can see ketchup on the bottle. That is a thing in the South, by the way. I wonder what Martha did. Did she quit doing her gifting? Did she try and do somebody else's gifting? Did she go tell somebody else how to do their gifting better? What's the last thing said about Martha? And this is such a profound thing. John 12. So they gave a dinner for him there and Martha served. She just did what she was called to do. But she did it from a place of rest rather than a place of trying to prove. It was rest rather than the requirement. So we have two questions. Don't you care that we perish? Don't you care that I'm the only one doing work around here? Which of those have you asked most recently? I'm dying here. I'm dying with this political situation. I'm dying in this economy. I'm dying with this housing situation. I'm dying in my job. I'm dying with my kids, or they're going to. I'm dying somewhere. Which are you dealing with? I can't take it anymore. I'm exhausted. I just can't do it anymore. Which are you dealing with? And now we have the statement. It's been nearly 50 years, 50 years since that night in the boat, When Peter burst in upon Jesus, very similar to how Martha approached Jesus, burst in upon Jesus, woke him up out of a dead sleep. Don't you care that we perish? 50 years later, Peter remembers it. Peter's thought about it for 50 years. What do you remember from 50 years ago that only half the crowd can even begin to think about the possibility of answering? First service, we eliminated two-thirds of them right off the bat. You know how fast 50 years has gone? And for 50 years, Peter has been thinking about don't you care that we perish? Don't you care that we perish? I actually said that to him. Don't you care that we, I wonder if he cares. For 50 years, Peter's been thinking about that. And after 50 years, we have a statement in 1 Peter 5. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Just humble yourselves. Don't have to explain. Don't have to demand. Don't have to expect. Don't have to defend. Just, just humble yourself. Don't worry about it. God will exalt you. Why, why, do we, why do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? So that at the proper time, he will exalt you. You don't have to defend everything. Well, this is why I did it. Don't care. Don't do that. Just don't. It's okay. Just humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt us. Now, how in the world is he going to exalt us? How do we, how do we, how do we 
humble ourselves. His exalting us is his problem. How do we humble ourselves? He tells us in the next verse when he says, casting all your anxieties, all your cares, all your distractions, it's that word, all your distractions, cast them. Just cast all your anxieties, your cares, your distractions on him. Why? Because he, Peter, get it? He cares. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah, and we invite you to attend our Sunday morning gatherings. For location, sermon times, and contact information, check us out at rhutah.church. Thank you again for joining us on today's show, and from all of us here at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shouts of Grace is a production of Key Radio.